0: and so to my fool's bed what was that no no not a girl crying in the garden no one cold hungry and banished was shivering there longing and not daring to come in it was the chain swinging at the well it would be folly to get up and go out and call again psyche psyche my only love i am a great queen i have killed a man i am drunk like a man all warriors drink deep after the battle. Bardia's lips on my hand were like the touch of lightning. All great princes have mistresses or lovers. There's the crying again. No, it's only the buckets at the well. Shut the window, Pooby, to your bed, child. Do you love me, Pooby? Kiss me good night. Good night. The king's dead. He'll never pull my hair again. A straight thrust, and then a cut in the leg. That would have killed them. I am the queen. I'll kill Oral too. I was pointing out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self
1: change into a Christ All right, welcome back at long last to the Inklings Variety Hour. Um, it's a, a happy little excerpt from the end of chapter 19 that we begin with today um, from C.S. Lewis's novel Till We Have Faces, which he wrote quickly, in collaboration with his wife Joy Davidman, publishing it in 1956. But he'd really been developing it for 35 years, according to him, since his atheist undergraduate days. A reworking of the Cupid and Psyche myth from the point of view of one of Psyche's evil sisters, it had been written as an unfinished narrative poem. In these early versions, Aureole's anger at the gods is vindicated and the gods are proven to be unjust. But... Lewis's Christianity and success as a writer of prose ultimately changed both the genre of the poem and its outcome. After publication, Lewis considered it his finest novel, and I have to agree. The novel is notable for its interiority. Lewis explores the psychology of the Queen of Gloam, from her childhood as an ugly princess until the loss of her favorite sister psyche, later lifting up the veil just a bit to allow us to see her fate in the age to come. I am Chris Pipkin, uh, Assistant Professor of English at Emmanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. Um, And who are you, may I ask?
0: Uh, I am Annika Smith, and I got a writing minor in college, so I feel like that is my my only credential here. That's
1: just as good. That's
0: just as good.
1: (laughs) Um, At long last, we are going to be um, wrapping it up. We're going to finish book one in the next hour, finish talking about book one, hit the highlights, and then next episode, we will be finishing up talking about book four. This podcast, today, we're going to be talking about chapter 18, 19, 20, and 21, somehow getting through four whole chapters in the next 45 minutes. How's everybody doing? Annika, how are you doing?
0: (laughs) What's the uh, the Anna Green Gables quote, sound in mind, but quite ruffled in spirit or, or ruffled in spirit, but sound in body, something like that. Yeah, I'm I'm very well. Thank you. Uh, just a lot going on with work. I'm down in uh, Baton Rouge. It is 80 degrees in December, mm-hmm. and I come from a land of darkness. My uh, I have a sister back in Washington State sending me photos uh every day of the winter wonderland currently there. And Uh, it's just, it's an adjustment, but it's good. Dealing with cockroaches and alligators and spray cats, but uh, missing, missing snow and cold in December. Do you have any good
1: alligator stories?
0: I have friends whose friends lead hunting expeditions for alligators like swamp tours and hunting gator is a thing i've eaten alligator now i can say that i don't recommend it
1: yeah i've never had it um and i've had chances to but (laughs) i mean
0: yeah
1: the novelty of being able to say that you ate alligator is not really enough to um you know cause me to try it okay so let's talk about the end of book one of till we have faces in Chapter 18, Oriol prepares for her duel against Argonne, uh, has to kill a pig in order to get ready because she's never killed someone before. So, you know, Bardia has her practice by killing a pig. Uh, the old priest finally dies and is replaced by Arnom. The king also dies, um, and it's almost kind of like an afterthought because Ariol is preparing for this duel. She has to fight this duel in order to free the Prince Trunia. Before she goes to the duel, she frees the fox, and arrangements are made for a Redival wedding. Uh, she agrees to let Trunia um, possibly marry Redival if you know they all live through this the next chapter 19 Oriol fights and kills Argon in a beautifully described um, single combat but then as soon as she does so she has to go to a feast and gets drunk and what you heard at the top was her basically uh, allowing this new persona of the queen uh, to take over you know diminish her vulnerable real self um uh kind of swallowing it up in this persona of the queen who's incredibly competent who nothing like touches who's who's essentially not vulnerable
0: who still loves psyche right like she's still with psyche my only love or it's haunted by her love of psyche but also is still trying to like she's addressing psyche with mm-hmm. I'm a great queen I've killed a man. I'm drunk like a man. Look at me, you know?
1: Yeah. I don't know that the queen actually is an entity, but I think it's a defense mechanism that Oriole is like using.
0: Oh, and it's Keeps also a about her femininity, right. Of like, look at me. I can drink like a man. I can kill like mm-hmm, a man.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, There's also an awesome part in that, in that chapter where she talks about how, awful it is to be the only woman in a banquet hall full of men and how disgusting (laughs) men are, uh, which was pretty great. It made me think of, you know, during, during this time, men and women, a great deal of their lives was lived separate, right? From, from one another. So I can, I can kind of imagine that like in the spheres in which mainly men moved without without women um yeah i imagine there was a lot of as she says in the paragraph before the one you read um i'd never seen men at their pleasures before the gobbling snatching belching hiccuping the greasiness of it all the bones thrown on the floor the dogs quarreling under our feet were all men such with bardia then back came my loneliness, my double loneliness for Bardia, for Psyche. Anyway, and then, and then she goes on. Uh, and the natural
0: feminine revulsion that's still there, that desires mm-hmm. order. And yeah. Is yeah. So obviously disgusted. Um, and also the, the frisson, right? The the delight that a woman has when a woman is the only woman in the company of men and the slight superiority, right? Right of that remove of I am not so gross and so beside myself I still have my wits about me I can see and judge them yes
1: yeah and she said she says like this is the this is the last feast I really went to and like went to the whole thing like usually (laughs) like since since that day I just kind of make an appearance and uh, and then shovel off and do some like important work (laughs) Which is uh, which is great moving on to chapter 20 Oriole does a lot of successful queening and there's also a lot of symbolism Um, She basically we have her entire reign compressed into chapter 20 Uh, You know, she she talks a bit about the battles that she's famous for she talks about the way that she's improved the uh, Kingdom
0: I love that. She shows us. Also. This is why I succeeded my real strength, right? Like she gives us the rundown as a queen of why I was awesome by Orwell. I had two very good counselors, right? I had Bardia and the Fox and they were better. You couldn't have had better yoke fellows for the Fox did what Bardia did not. And neither, neither cared a straw for his own dignity or advancement when my needs were in question. She has, you know, the the fox, his Greek wisdom, she has guardia, his warrior spirit, and she's got the head and the heart, right? Like she has everything she needs to rule wisely and prudently. Um, And her second strength lay in her veil. I could never have believed till I had proof of it, what it would do for me. From the very first, as soon as my face was invisible, people began to discover all manners of beauties in my voice. Mm -hmm. At first, it was deep as a man's, but nothing in the world less mannish. I love that detail. Uh, Later, and until it grew cracked with age, it was the voice of a spirit, a siren, Orpheus, what you will. And having that insight into the remove and the mystery, as well as the power and authority she wielded, is... I think plausibly showing that she could have been a great ruler.
1: Yeah. You know, from everything that we can see, she was her. She was incredibly competent. And there's, there's a kind of doubleness to her character in this book because she's writing the entire book, defending herself and accusing the gods. Mm -hmm. And then she figures out that she's really not as good as she said she was. And part of the reason she discovers that is because she has to uh, be honest when she's writing this first part of the book. And so she realizes like, oh, shoot, I'm really a deeply crappy person. (laughs) Uh, But then at the same time, she's able to, through her suffering, help Psyche. And she's also, by the end of the book, you know, you have this postscript and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but there's this postscript basically saying, you know, she was the best um, of all the princes known in our parts of the world. From chapter 20, you see that she's making some really wise decisions, which is, which is fascinating because she's an incredibly effective queen, a brilliant queen. She's really, really, really good at being queen. But you know, just like the Wizard of Oz, right? Who's a very what is it? A very good man, but a very bad wizard. I think that's what he says, right?
0: Uh, uh, I was never allowed to see the Wizard of Oz.
1: Oh, so that's so sad.
0: It was freaky. Also, those monkeys are creepy. Oh, yeah.
1: the monkeys are great. The monkeys are great. But yeah, if you uh, if if you if you strike that and reverse it, right? Um, she's a she's not necessarily a good woman.
0: But she's a very At this
1: point, but she's a very good queen.
0: Some real and... politic, right there. Like that is what we are often presented with from the realists politically, right? Of um, you don't want necessarily a leader who is moral and a, someone you you trust as a person as mm. much as someone who is prudent and can do the job and lead mm. Um, mm. regardless of the choices they have to make or the sacrifices or the people they hurt
1: yeah yeah which is interesting right because i would say that as queen she seems to be her public persona clearly does embrace conventional virtues right or, or or like embraces them for the first time in a way that her father had not right but inside she still has this wound and she still has this way that she's like uh killing people basically by like using them up right which is, uh, which is, which is fascinating because, because yeah, like she's doing things like setting her slaves free, you know, setting the fox free, certainly um, taking the mines and making the mines a, a, a place that actually produces silver and isn't just a place for people to be punished. So all of these really not just brilliant decisions, but essentially virtuous decisions, right? Um, and yet deep down inside there's still this fundamental wound that she has um that is causing her to sort of use everybody up that she's like in personal relationship with like ansett says devour them um Mm -hmm. even though she claims to love them which is uh yeah
0: even the the fox when he is freed and stays with her um he grows old and needs rest and she talks about how he becomes less of a philosopher, and uh, he talked more of eloquence and figures and poetry. His voice grew always shriller, and he talked more and more. And you can sense the the annoyance underneath that. Um, he often mistook me for psyche. Now that's chilling in some ways. Yeah. But I was too busy to be with him much. What did I not do? He's annoying. He's now in this other world and not as useful to her, and he needs her, right? Like, he needs company um, and someone to talk to, and she needs him less and is then not with him. Even that sort of guarding of this now elderly friend who had been her closest since Psyche's sacrifice. Yeah,
1: yeah. And not only that, but like, had decided to stay there for her, right, right. and not to go back to the Greek lands. Um, and she has this, you know, she has this sort of pity party, you know, begs him to stay. And once she has emotionally blackmailed him into hanging around, it's like, well, I've, I, she's kind of used him up. No, you know, and, and this this kind of reinforces the fact that even though she loves people, that love is mostly selfish love. It's mostly love that sees the other as existing for the sake of the self. It's
0: which, a taking love rather than a gift love.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh and, and you know, obviously same with Bardia as well, and we'll get to that. She mentions that she finally meets Ansett Bardia's, uh, um, you know, famously beautiful wife. But after eight children, she's not so cute any- anymore. Fox dies. Um, there's a new image of unget that's put up in the temple. Cool. That is uh, that is more Greek, and that is um, the best work of art that they've seen in Gloom. But the fox kind of laughs at it because it's still not as good as the, you know, as the Greek ones and uh even though it's modeled on the greek ones um she hangs bada which is always like kind of a shock when she hangs the woman who basically was her mother but uh she's found out that bada's stirring up trouble among the uh, other servants so so she hangs she hangs her and then oriol after the fox's death sort of feels like the kingdom is getting Uh, Despite all the progress that she's made and all of the great victories she's had and the great decisions that she's made, um, she's kind of tired of uh, gloom and needs to go somewhere else, so she decides to go on a progress. And that brings us to chapter 21, which is the whole reason for her writing this book just Mm
0: -hmm. before we get to the progress the, the the end of chapter 20 with i i love the foreshadowing that's also a callback with um the fox's death the days and months and years went on again as before, round and round like a wheel, till there came a day when I looked about me at the gardens and the palace and the ridge of the gray mountain out eastward. And I and thought I could no longer endure to see these same things every day till I died. And the fox psyche, pears, the, the pear trees, and the Grey Mountain calling back to when Psyche was looking out when they were playing together and so happy. And Psyche looked out to the mountains and knew she belonged there, where the king of the mountain, where she would eventually go live, right? And the the calling in, I, I just love that calling in Orwell's soul in her dissatisfaction with her current life and the fox's death.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if places can stand for someone's entire history or personality, right? All those things that she mentions are so deeply symbolic to her of sort of the best things. Um, and I mean not the gray mountains so much for her, but um but there's such a um desire to get away from the self here spurs her to to travel, right? And to go to a new place. Um, and of course what happens is that when she goes to this new place, um, she's confronted with her, with a twisted version of the story that she's just finished telling, um, where she finds herself at a shrine and there's a little like two foot wooden image of a goddess in a... Uh, in, a, in a shrine in Eshur, a nearby kingdom. Um, and she talks to a priest about the goddess and the priest basically tells her the story of Psyche.
0: I do love, she, on her way there, she sees Redival again. Yes. Um, and Redival is fat and she's not pretty mm-hmm. anymore. And the the sort of gloating and the understatement of that sort of meeting I was astonished to see how she had grown fat and lost her beauty. She talked as of old everlastingly, but all about her children and asked after no one in Gloam except Bata. Trunia never listened to a word she said, but he and I had much talk together, right? Like my pretty sister is fat and old now and her husband doesn't listen to her, but listens to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like- it's it's so on point and bravo to c.s lewis for that that was great
1: yeah and it's it's kind of of a piece with her with the way that she consoles herself for the fact that bardia mm-hmm. is you know in love with his wife right when when she says yes. things to herself like um you know do, does his wife really know him has his wife really been in the battle with him you know um i
0: Back to back with him in a cold Mm -hmm. night, and he could stay warm for safety, right? She's never had his back in a fight.
1: I'm in his man's world. I get to see who he really is and she gets the leftovers, right? So evil. It's wonderful because, yeah, it's really despicable, but it's also like totally
0: normal understand
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that's the that's the way people are um and and everything else that i've read by lewis you know you've got your good people and you've got your bad people bad people act like that and the good people you know yeah they might make some mistakes but they're like mostly okay right um and then you have the bad people that become good people right and they and yeah like they do some backsliding but then eventually they you know they they turn good uh, but this is such a complex psychology and it's absolutely it's absolutely dead on because it's the way that we console ourselves for missing out on you know that we feel like have made our lives disappointing right or have made our lives failures or something like that right uh, because we we look around and we see these other people who apparently have perfect lives um, and they're the only ones we compare ourselves with. Um, and then we find some way to console ourselves. Like, well, they may, they might be like three times as rich as me, but have they really enjoyed their lives the way I have? Probably not. Probably they're just running around and you know, and like, we take this like sadistic pleasure in that idea, even though like it's probably true we shouldn't take pleasure in the fact that that's probably true, right? We should probably be empathetic. But anyway, yeah. And, and we'll find out, you know, later on that what the things that she's thinking about, Barty and Anzit are absolutely true. And that's really sad, but, um, but it's mostly sad that she is kind of a monster. And what she's being sort of smacked in the face with when she goes to this shrine and hears this story is um, is the fact that in this story she is not the heroine; um, she's the villain, Um, and that leads her to write this book. Um, It leads her to write this book, um, even though you know Bardia is sick, and she's like vaguely annoyed with him for being sick. The priest tells this uh, story that to her just seems completely backwards and wrong. She is so lately guarded that she is still rather, a rather poor goddess stranger. Yet for one little silver piece I will tell you the sacred story. Thank you, kind stranger, thank you. Istra will be your friend for this. Now I will tell you the sacred story. Once upon a time, in a certain land, there lived a king and a queen who had three daughters, and the youngest was the most beautiful princess in the whole world.
0: And so he went on as such priests do, all in sing-song voice, and using words which he clearly knew by heart. And to me, it was as if the old man's voice and the temple and i myself and my journey were all things in such a story for he was telling the very history of our istra of psyche herself how talipal that's the Assyrian unget was jealous of her beauty and made her to be offered to a brute on a mountain and how talipal's son ealim the most beautiful of the gods loved her and took her away to his secret palace He even knew that Eileen had visited her only in darkness and had forbidden her to see his face. But he had had a childish reason for that.
1: You see, stranger, he had to be very secret because of his mother Talipal. She would have been very angry with him if she had known he had married the woman she most hated in the world.
0: I thought to myself, it's well for me I didn't hear this story 15 years ago. Yes, or even 10 It would have reawakened all my sleeping miseries. Now it moves me hardly at all. Then, suddenly struck afresh with the queerness of the thing, I asked him, Where did you learn all this? He stared at me as if he didn't well understand such a question.
1: It's the sacred story,
0: he said. I saw he was rather silly than cunning, and that it would be useless to question him. As soon as I was silent, he went on. But now, all the dreamlike feeling in me suddenly vanished. I was wide awake, and I felt the blood rush into my face. He was telling it wrong, hideously and stupidly wrong. First of all, he made it that both Psyche's sisters had visited her in the secret palace of the god, to think of Redival going there. And so, he said,
1: when her two sisters had seen the beautiful palace, and been feasted, and given gifts, they...
0: They saw the palace?
1: Stranger, you are hindering the sacred story. Of course they saw the palace. They weren't blind. And then...
0: It was as if the gods themselves had first laughed and then spat in my face. So this was the shape the story had taken. You may say the shape the gods had given it. For it must be they who had put it into the old fool's mind or into the mind of some other dreamer from whom he'd learned it. How could any mortal have known of that palace at all? That much of the truth they had dropped into someone's mind, in a dream, or an oracle, or however they do such things, that much, and wiped clean out the very meaning, the pith, the central knot of the whole tale. Do I not do well to write a book against them, telling them what they have kept hidden? Never sitting on my judgment seat had I caught a false witness in a more cunning half-truth, For if the true story had been like their story, no riddle would have been set me. There would have been no guessing and no guessing wrong. More than that, it's a story belonging to a different world, a world in which the gods show themselves clearly and don't torment men with glimpses, nor unveil to one what they hide from another, nor ask you to believe what contradicts your eyes and ears and nose and tongue and fingers. In such a world, is there such? It's not ours for certain. I would have walked aright. The gods themselves would have been able to find no fault in me and now to tell my story as if I had had the very sight they had denied me. Is it not as if you told a cripple story and never said he was lame or told how a man betrayed a secret but never said it was after 20 hours of torture? And I saw, all in a moment, how the false story would grow, and spread, and be told over all the earth. And I wondered how many of the other sacred stories, just such twisted falsities, as this.
1: And so, when these two wicked sisters had made their plan to ruin Istra, they brought her the lamp and...
0: Why did she, they, want to separate her from the god if they had seen the palace?
1: They wanted to destroy her because they had seen her palace. But why? Oh, because they were jealous. Her husband and her house were so much finer than theirs.
0: That moment, I resolved to write this book.
1: She's furious that they that he would say that she was jealous of of Psyche, which of course, like reading the book, we know she is jealous of Psyche. She forces everybody who's walking with her in this in this uh, pilgrimage to go faster and get up earlier and walk a little later every you know every day, and they're all kind of, at the beginning of the pilgrimage. They're like all finding out, you know, that she's really a. Uh, fun person to be around and all of that but then by the end they're like oh man this this lady um (laughs) but uh yeah um uh but that that ends um you know basically her her saying um you know i'm going to write this book i say therefore that there is no creature toad scorpion or serpent so noxious to man as the gods let them answer my charge if they can. It may well be that instead of answering, they'll strike me mad or leprous or turn me into a beast, bird or tree. But will not all the world then know and the gods will know it knows that this is because they have no answer. It's quite a whirlwind tour of the last four chapters. Um, is there anything that we should dwell on a little bit more in the, um, you know, in the last seven minutes or so we have in this hour? <laughs>
0: No, I, I think just the, the complexity, the beauty of her very real self-righteousness, right? Her, her sense of how clearly right she is, how evident it is from what she is saying that this is the story. And, and she did, I mean, she did see the palace. It, it was a brief moment, but she saw it, right? Um, When she went down to the river and she talked herself out of it, but she can't undo that. She was given the vision, what she experienced on the mountain. I don't think it rises to the 20 hours of torture, but, but that for her, that's the, that's the story.
1: Um, There are dramatic monologue poems like written by people like Robert Browning, where Mm -hmm it's clear that it's meant to be ironic like My Last Duchess for example um, clearly put in the mouth of a villain and you know by a certain point certainly by the end of the poem that this is a villain and what you have here is so much more complex than that because she's not a villain she's essentially a good person but she's also essentially a bad person in the way that we are all essentially bad people in insofar as she cares about people mostly for her own sake right which is which is something that like everybody's done since infancy um, we we all do that and it's very very difficult to train us out of that sort of need love you know as 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 you said um, and, and to agape love right into into love that that sacrifices the self
0: the passage where she's dealing with the fact that they said she was she's still just processing the um the story and and the fact that in in this story is because she's jealous as if she were another red Say the gods deal very unrightly with us for they will neither which would be best of all go away and leave us to live our own short days to ourselves nor will they show themselves openly and tell us what they would have us do for that too would be endurable but to hint and hover to draw near us in dreams and oracles, or in a waking vision that vanishes as soon as seen, to be dead silent when we question them, and then glide back and whisper words we cannot understand in our ears when we most wish to be free of them, and to show to one what they hide from another. What is all this but cat and mouse play, blind men's bluff? Why must holy places be dark places?
1: So listeners, this is the end of this hour, and next week we will have um, our final episode on book two with Andrew Lazo. So uh, uh, stay tuned. We will see you then.
0: All blessed encounter, full of joy, unscheduled on the decent plan. With here, an addict of Tolkien, there, a Charles Williams fan.
1: And before you uh, before you sign off, I just want mm-hmm. to clue you in. Look at the last two words of Book One. Mm-hmm. No answer. And what are the first two words of Book One? I am. Great. Now put those four words together. I am no answer. And that's what Orwell figures out in the mm. whole of Book One. And to find out more about that, we'll see you next week.